So uh, the Shaila for today is, this is not one I got recently, but it's one that I um, thought about recently. Um, a woman, a married woman called up, she gets major migraines whenever she puts anything on her head. Anything at all, um, and uh, she can't. A shaitel's like out of the question. Like uh, she'll be out of commission for like three, four days if she puts on a shaitel. Uh, she's tried like putting on like a tiny bandana, and even that gives her headaches to the point that if she makes a ponytail in her hair, it gives her major migraines. Um, if she, let's say, has a wedding that she feels like she needs to wear a shaitel to, uh, she'll wear the shaitel and she'll take 800 milligrams of a certain medication and she'll still get a migraine um, with, with all that. Uh, she's already cut her hair very short just because of the I don't know, weight or something of having long hair itself gives her migraines. So she wants to know, uh, does she have to cover her hair? That is uh, her shayla. Meaning, to what extent do you have to go through suffering in order to do the requirement of covering the air. So like what? Doctor. Like a doctor's note. <laughs> Sorry, Rabbi. Doctor's note. What? Ah, meaning, meaning, good. So point number one is, how much do you trust that that's actually what's happening over here versus, uh, you know, is that like a thing that anyone could just say, oh, it gives me headaches and therefore I'm pater. So, uh, but it seems, let, let's assume for a moment that this is a real condition. That uh, that this person has that it's a, that it's a genuine uh, condition that she that she gets these horrible migraines. Now, is it psychological? You know, a lot of things are in our head, and it doesn't mean they're not real. Meaning, uh, you're familiar with Dr. Sarna, the back pain guy. Oh, you're familiar with this. They what they've discovered apparently is that uh, actually Dr. Rosner's uh, sister wrote a book about this. Also, there's this guy, Dr. Sarna, who uh, developed this whole uh, idea that what they've discovered is that people who suffer from back pain, if you were to take um, imagery of Im- images of the medical images of their back and their vertebrae and things like that, and you were to show any doctor, you know, uh, 50 images of people with back pain, 50 images of people that don't have back pain, they wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Like uh, most often it's not something, meaning people have very messed up backs and just don't feel the pain, and people have, feel a lot of pain with very little messed up in their back. And what, what, uh, what they've discovered is that a lot of our stresses and our uh, anxieties come out in the form of, uh, of, of back pain. Does that mean that the person's not in pain? No, the person's still very much, very much in, in pain. It's just that the way you would treat it, instead of putting them under a knife and doing surgery to cure their back, the way you would treat it is to figure out how they can talk to their brains and tell their brains and uh, allow their brains to release stress in other ways you know, so, uh, and there, there are people that swear by it. You know, I'm not saying like quacks, like real medical professionals that absolutely swear by this, including Dr. Rosner's mother, who's a very hush of a doctor. She, um, she has the story, the story. Okay, this is going a little off topic in terms of the Torah, but uh, she has an unbelievable story. Dr. Rosner's mother, Dr. Shulman, everyone's doctors in that family, except Rabbi Rosner's rabbi, everyone else is doctors. Um, so, uh, so Dr. Dr. Shulman was a very, very chash of a pediatrician. Um, and uh, when her father was dying, I, I could be getting the story wrong, you could ask Rabbi Rosner or Dr. Rosner later. Um, when her father was dying, she, uh, uh, she got a call in the middle of the night um, from her father, um, you know, from her daughter who was with the father saying, uh, Daddy wants to, Zadie wants to tell you something. And she's like, tell him I'll be there in the morning, I'll see him in the morning. 
and uh, it was like two in the morning. You know, I'll see him. I'll see him in five hours. You know, he doesn't have to speak to me right now. So uh, it didn't seem like it was an emergency or anything. Um, it was just he was, you know, I guess delirious or whatever. So uh, and then it turns out that he uh, that he died that night. And from that moment on, from the time she started sitting shiva, she had extreme back pain that lasted years. She went to every back specialist every until she went to Dr. Sarna, who's the guy that developed this whole this whole thing. And he said, "Well, did you have any?" Stresses or anything like around the time that your back pain started. So well, actually, it started right around the time that my father died. Was there anything in particular other than his death? And she she had forgotten the story and she repeated that story. And he's like, yeah, well, that's obviously it. And uh, and like it was like that. Like years of back pain just went away when they figured out how to. Uh, so she became a big chassid of uh, of this uh, doctor. Son, my wife is a big chassid, so I know because she gets all these uh, back pains. So she's always talking to her brain and you know telling her brain not to. Uh, whatever. Um, so anyway, so that even if it is in her head, I mean, other than a migraine being in the head, even if it is in her head, it's real, meaning it's actual pain. So like at the end of the day, she's experiencing the pain. But so from a halachic perspective, how would you view something like this? When a person is experiencing such pain uh, and it's costing them the ability, uh, meaning would, they, would that exempt them from covering their hair? So what do we know about sacrifices that a person has to make for observance of halacha? Right, so let's say to do a mitzvah. How much do you have to sacrifice to do a mitzvah? Ah, so as far as money is concerned, we know how much money you have to give to do a mitzvah. You give up to 20% of your money to, to be able to fulfill a mitzvah. You're not supposed to or allowed to give more than 20% of your money to fulfill a mitzvah because then there's a concern, that you might become poor. But a person uh, otherwise would have to spend up to 20% of the money to do mitzvah saseh. What about a mitzvah low saseh to avoid violating a love? So how much would you have to give in order to avoid violating a low saseh midaraisa? In terms of money? So in terms of money, you'd have to give everything in order to avoid violating a, uh, a low saseh. Kol momono, you'd have to give up. So part of the question might be... Ah, so we're not talking about money, though. We're talking about pain. How much pain... How do you measure pain in terms of... I mean, Chazal gave us shiurim for money. How do you measure in terms of pain? So the way Moshe Feinstein writes and others, that you would measure how much money one would pay to relieve themselves of this pain. Meaning, would a person pay 20% of the money to relieve themselves of this pain? So then, that's 20 If a person would pay 50% of the money to relieve themselves of this pain, then uh, then the pain is worth 50% of the money, right? That's what... Uh, that's, that, that's the way we, we do the equation, right? So let's assume this woman has migraines. How much do you think a person with migraines that are crippling, that cannot function, a woman cannot function, how much would she give in order to cure herself of these migraines? More than 20% or less than 20%? Probably more than 20%, right? Because it's mamish crippling. So she, she'd be willing to give more than 20% of her money to relieve herself of this pain. So, so this would, l'chora would depend on what issue then. Meaning, ah, meaning the the to cover the hair is it a low sasay, or is it an assay? right? Meaning, if it's a mitzvah sasay, so you don't have to give, and perhaps you're not even allowed to give more than twenty percent of your money. So then maybe she wouldn't have to cover her hair if it's costing her something that's worth more than twenty percent of her money. But if it's a low sasay, 
then kol mamono, you got to give up everything. You have to give up your life. There are only three that you have to give up your life for. But this isn't life-threatening. It's just extremely painful for her. So it might depend on that. But before we even get to that, we first have to discuss, well, is covering the hair in the first place a din daraisa at all? Maybe the whole thing is only a din midrabana. So is the whole thing even a din daraisa? What do you think? Din daraisa, din darabana, a woman covering her hair? Minhag, darabana, daraisa, minhag, or just a crazy thing that people do? What was I say again? Okay, I think we're we're misunderstanding Ravavadia's uh, shita. Ravavadia holds you're you're not yotze hair covering with a shetel. That a shetel doesn't work. That you need to cover with something uh, less realistic than a shetel. That's what Ravavadia holds. That's why most Sephardi women, um, like the real, you know from Svartim, you know, typically will not wear a shetel. Although there are Svartic poskim that do allow wearing a shetel. I mean, Ravadia being the most powerful of the Svartic poskim uh, has a certain level of, uh, of influence. But it, it's, um, you know, like I, this, this is one of the many questions that comes up. I've had a few, a few Siddur Kedushans recently where a Svartic guy marries an Ashkenazi girl. Right, what kind of Sephardi guy marries an Ashkenazi girl? The kind that went to DRS and Camp Kaley and like, grew up in an Ashkenazi environment his whole life. But he's Sephardic, so he has Sephardic traditions and, and Sephardic halacha that he follows. Um, but, uh, and he marries an Ashkenazi girl. So the girl um, you know, uh, is willing to put up with certain things. She's perfectly happy to eat fruity pebbles on Pesach. Right? That's, that's fine with her. That's no problem. But, uh, but, but not wearing a shaitel is not something that she's particularly excited about. So is there any makum lahakil? Do you say, well, no, sorry, you're marrying a Sephardi. you got to follow Sephardi halacha. And shaitals are out, according to Sephardi halacha. So it, it is important to know that there are Sephardi poskim that hold that, that, that Ashkenazi women are allowed to wear a shaital. I've gotten the request sometimes from the girl's parents. Um, we know that it's got to be Sephardic, but can you make the chuppah sound normal? <laughs> like, like, they're afraid, like, like there's going to be like a rock concert that breaks out of the chuppah, people are going to be doing cartwheels and whatever. And like, you know, Sephardi chuppahs are much more levedic than Ashkenazi, than Ashkenazi chuppahs. So, uh, you know, so, so I asked Rabbi Jackter actually, um, what I should do about the ksuba, because a real Sephardi ksuba gets very detailed, you know, and uh, he's going to commit four cows and you know, three goats, and it doesn't do that, but it says like specific amounts of money, $800,000 for this and whatever, like it goes through real, whereas our ksuba sound much more, you know, it's, it's standard, it's the standard form of the ksuba. So Rabbi Jackter actually advised, he said, there's only one real difference that matters in the ksuba, and that is that in Ashkenazi ksuba we say, that the money we're guaranteeing is the chazi lichi mida oraisa, is the money that uh, you uh, deserve to be getting mida oraisa. The machlokas you showed him what that means, whether it means that the chiv ksuba is mida oraisa or that the type of currency we're talking about is currency mida oraisa, kasim tzuri versus kasim medina. But, uh, but that's a phrase Ashkenazim have in the Ksuba. Svartim don't. So Rabbi Jackson said, just take out the word Midal Raisa and keep everything else the same and it's fine. So that's what I do typically when it's a Svarti guy marrying an Ashkenazi girl. I use Rav Shachter's Nusach of Ksuba and just uh, take out the word Mida Oraisa. I got a bunch of them printed up in my house because you can't buy a ksuba like that. So I got a bunch of them printed up, and uh, you know, I, uh, I went to a print shop and uh, printed up a bunch of them. You know, a nice paper or whatever. So uh, it's, anyway, Roshachter has his own nusach of ksuba. You can't buy them anywhere. So I just got a bunch of those printed up on uh, nice paper. Um, 
so yeah, so that's as far as as far as I'm concerned. So that a shaitel is not even not even good enough. This woman, a shaitel is not even shaykh for her. She gets migraines. It's, it's not even possible. The question is, the chiv to cover the hair didn't arise or didn't rabbanon. So what parsha in the Torah do we learn the chiv to cover the hair from? Parsha's naso by the parsha of sota. The part of what we do to the sota is that we uncover her hair, implying that typically the hair has to be covered, and it's a big bizayon to uncover uh, to uncover the hair. Simple reading of the gemara Ksuvas is that it's a dindal raisa. Um, the gemara says that uh, going with completely uncovered hair is a violation of what's called das moshe. Das Moshe means the laws of the Torah, right? That's what Das Moshe, whereas Das Yehudis is with a partial covering, it's, uh, where, where it's not fully covered, is a violation of Das, das, das Yehudis. Um, so uh, the Gemara, because the, Gemara the, the context is the Gemara says that uh, it's talking about what are, what are grounds for divorce. Right? What can a husband say? Look, I didn't think she would be like this, and therefore I uh, should be able to divorce her without having to pay her ksuba. Um, and uh, the Gemara says when a woman goes out with uncovered hair, it's a violation of Das Yehudis. So the Gemara says, Das Yehudis? That's Das Moshe. Pasuk says, Upares Rosha Isha. So it's a Dindaraisa. So the Gemara says, no, no, if she's wearing like some sort of basket on her head, so then it's only a violation of Das Yehudis, not Das Moshe. So with some sort of very partial covering, it's, it's an avoidance of the Yisudaraisa, while still not being a fulfillment of the Rabbanan. So the simple reading of the Gemara certainly sounds like the idea of covering the hair Bichlal is a Dindaraisa. Um, from the Rambam, though, it sounds like it's a Yisudarabanan. Um, the Rambam doesn't mention in Hilchasi Surabiya that it's Daraisa. Um, in fact, Rav Shachter thought, Rav Shachter told us that uh, the Frimers from Rechovot, uh, Aryeh and Dov Frimer, who uh, did a lot of research on these kinds of topics, said that uh, Rav Salvechik quoted from Rav Moshe Salvechik that the Rambam held that it's only Darabanan. Um, and when the Gemara calls it a Daraisa, it's just an Asmachta. Now that's Meaning, if we're looking to try to be makel for this woman, so the first first thing you always look at whenever you're dealing with any halacha is like, w- what kind of din? You have to know how much wiggle room we're going to have, right? So, what kind of din do we have over here? Is it a din daraisa or is it a din drabanan? If it's a din daraisa, obviously you have much less wiggle room. If it's din drabanan, a little bit more wiggle room, right? Um, so, there's a possibility, possibility we'll call it, that it's a drabanan. Then we could discuss, well, wait a second, is it a mitzvah? Or an iser. So what would you say? A mitzvah to cover the hair or an iser to go with uncovered hair? Why, why does it matter? Because what we spoke about before, right? A mitzvah, you only have to spend up to 20%. So what are you tying What's the iser? So, is, ah, so like tzniyas in general. What exactly is the iser going around non-tzniwa? So maybe lifneiver. It's probably other things also. Ravad Yosef writes in the tshuva that uh, to walk around Natsanua is very usur plus lifneiver, meaning that there is, it's an isidar raisa plus it's lifneiver. So let's say a person knows that it's not going to be lifneiver. They know about themselves, let's say, uh, whatever, that they're, I don't know, uh, that they're extremely unattractive or that uh, no one's going to look or something like that. Somehow you come up with some sort of case where it's not going to be lifneiver. Ravadia says it's still an isidar raisa to go around Natsanua that a person has to have a sense of tzinia. So maybe it's part of that. It happens to be that there are two um, lines in Rashi, uh, in Meseches Ksuvus. One line implies that it's Daraisa, and the other that it's Drabanan. Right? One, one line in Rashi says, two opinions in Rashi, is from the fact that we 
do this to a sota, that uh, she she was trying to get dressed up and look beautiful for the guy that she was cheating on her husband with. So we try to make her look ugly. Mechlal says Rashi that implies de aser, aser. What does aser sound like? That it's an isr, right? Not that it's a mitzvah. But then Rashi says midichsiv upara from the fact that it says that we uncover her hair, he shaita lav bruahu. It sounds like up until that point her hair was covered. Shmamina ein derech binos Yisrael lotzis pruos rosh. That it's not the derech of binos Yisrael to go out with their hair uncovered. The chenikr. What does that sound like? Ein derech to go that way. That sounds like it's a mitzvah to cover the hair, not an iser to have it uncovered. So the person to notice this and to make a big deal about these two deos in Rashi was Rav Moshe Feinstein. In what context did Rav Moshe Feinstein make a big deal about this? So Rav Moshe was asked about a girl who is, let's say, divorced or an almana, and she needs a shidduch, and it's going to be harder to, for her to find a shidduch if she's covering her hair. Because just in general, people will never think of her as a single person, and uh, they're not going to think of her for shiduchim, or she's not going to look as nice, or whatever. For whatever reason, she thinks it's going to be more difficult for her to find a shidduch if she has single hair, if she has covered hair. So Moshe says that uh, that luchora, and and this really talks directly to our case. Um, if it would cause her tsar, the amount of tsar that would equal the chomesh nechasim. That would equal what? What's Chomesh Lechazim? That would equal 20% of her money. Right? The amount of tzar that would equal 20% of her money, then what? Then if it's a... If it's Asr, then what? Then too bad. But if it's a mitzvah, then you're okay. So Moshe says it depends on these two days in Rashi. So Moshe says, okay, so now I need to know which day in Rashi do we paskin like? So Rav Moshe says, well, the chiv to cover your hair when you're married is the chiv daraisa. The chiv to cover your hair when you're divorced is the chiv darabana. Two days in Rashi is a suffix. So I'm willing to say suffix daraisa l'chumra, but suffix darabanan l'kula. So if it's a suffix for a married woman, if you have a married woman who says it's a big tsar for me to cover my hair, Rav Moshe says, I'm sorry. We're, 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 it's, it's, it's a din daraisa, and we have to be machmir that it's an iser daraisa, and therefore I don't care how much of a tsar it is. But if you're talking about a divorced or widowed woman, right, where the chiv is only darabanan, well, then we could be makel that the chiv to cover your hair is only a mitzvah and not an iser, right? And therefore, if the tsar is so great that it's worth more than 20% of her money, then she, she, we could be makil. This is a, a very big kula that Ramosha has. A lot of Rabbanim are very hesitant to give uh, uh, this, you know, to, to give this psak for divorced women, um, and you really have to be careful about it because, you know, it's very hard to get like a real clear, honest assessment whether someone would really give up 20% of their money for that psak. Right? And you can't ask that. You can't say, well, how much are you willing to give me for the Pesach? Right? You know, so, so it's very hard to get like an honest assessment, like how much it's, it's really worth to a person. Sometimes you hear it in a person's voice, meaning if they were in an abusive marriage or something like that, and like the woman's describing, every time I put my shaitel on, I feel like I'm being uh, abused again. I feel like I, he's, he's still... 
controlling me and you know things like that. So so that you know that kind of psychological trauma. She is spending more than twenty percent of her money on the therapy to deal with that kind of trauma. So you know that that it's worth more than twenty percent of, of 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 her money. Um, but uh, but it's it's a tricky area of halacha. Um, I've gotten calls sometimes from women who said that uh, you know to ask this shaila. I said, why are you calling? I don't even know who you are. Like, why would you call me with this shaila? You have a rabbi. So he said, my rabbi doesn't want to pass on the shaila. So he told me to call you because he doesn't want to deal with this shaila. They were afraid to, to deal with this uh, with this shaila. So um, I'm also afraid to deal with the shaila. Meaning. Uh, you know, like it's a, it's a serious uh, it's a serious shaila. So anyway, so so going back to uh, to our shaila, what would you say? According to Rav Moshe, what would you say about our shaila with the woman with the migraines? She's married, She's married and therefore it's daraisa. And if it's daraisa, we got to be machmir that it's a losase. This all assumes um, this all assumes that the chiyuv for a woman to cover her hair is daraisa when she's married. That's what Rav Moshe assumed. Remember what we say that Rav Shechter quoted the Frimers who quoted Rav Salvechik who quoted from Rav Moshe Salvechik, that according to the Rambam, it's Durabana. Ooh, so maybe that's that between that Rambam and that one day in Rashi, maybe we have we have something uh, over here to uh, be making with. Now it should be noted that covering hair in general is not an all-or-nothing proposition. A lot of times people think that way. Well, if I'm not going to do it right, then I'm not going to do it at all. It's clear in the Gemara that it's not an all-or-nothing proposition. The Gemara makes a distinction between covering, uh, uncovering the hair entirely, which is Daraisa, Das Moshe, versus uncovering the hair partially, which is Das Yehudis, right? Um, das is Dalutaf, not right? Das means the law, the law of Moshe. It means Dindalraisa. In fact, I was just listening. I, I drove to Camp Moshava last week. Uh, Ruven Tarragin asked me to come uh, speak to some of the campers and counselors there. So on the way, I was listening to Ephraim Waxman. I'm trying to balance things out, Moshe Vara, Ephraim Waxman. So, uh, so, so Ephraim Waxman was, uh, was, he was reading from the Sefer of, uh, I think his grandfather or his great-grandfather, where the Gemara in Sota says that no one knows where Moshe Rabbeinu, says no one knows where Moshe Rabbeinu was buried, but the Gemara in Sota says everyone's trying to figure out where Moshe Rabbeinu was buried. Heichem cover Moshe, right? So people went to the bottom of the mountain and they saw it looked like he was buried the Maila. And people went in the Maila and it looked like he was Lamata. And then they realized, Lo Yad so no one knew where he was buried. So he had a beautiful Jewish. He says, they want to know how to bury Das Moshe, how to bury the, 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 the observance of Halacha, the observance of the Torah. So, Halalu Omrim, the Maila, that the way to, to obliterate Torah observance, just lift the Jews up, give them chashivos, and give them, uh, tell them they could be full members of society, and everything, you know, just, uh, and, th- and then they'll, they'll just assimilate. And, you know, and Halalu Omrim, Lamata. And the other said, no, no, you got to uh, abuse them and you have to uh, push them down and you have to... But at the end of the day, no one knows how to bury Das Moshe. Das Moshe is always going to survive. The, 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 the laws of the Torah are always going to survive. Anyway, that's a Jewish. But back to, um, to our discussion. Clearly, it's not an all-or-nothing proposition. The Gemara says that covering part of the hair at least avoids the Yisidaraisa. Furthermore, the Gemara distinguishes between different locations. That uh, that 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 um, you know there, there's a difference between whether you're in the house in a chater you know a semi-private location and a uh, and a very public uh, location. So that's also uh, a very important uh, uh, distinction. Um, the Rabbi uh, 
Rabbi Chait tells his Talmidim that he has a psak from Ravan Salavechik, or based on something Ravan Salavechik, tell him that when a woman's in her own home and less than three men are present, even if there's one or two men that are not from her family that are present, that she's not obligated to cover her hair. Um, because it's the chiv to cover the hair is not based on someone having hirurim. No one's going to have hirurim from a woman's uncovered hair. Um, and haraya, single women don't cover their hair. I Meaning, if it was a matter of hirurim, then single women should have to cover their hair. Um, and the chiv is only in a public place. And the way we define public place is based on three people or more. Okay, so that's a chiddush. I think most people do not understand that way. They assume that whenever there's someone who's not from the immediate family present that uh, that a woman does have to cover her hair. But you do see the Gemara itself distinguishes very clearly between public places and more private places. So uh, so there is, there's, it's clearly not an all or nothing uh, proposition. Then you have the further discussion which we touched upon uh, which whether a shaitel is a good way to cover the hair. So Ravadia very famously says, no shaitels. Um, he says, if a girl is dating a guy that wants her to wear a shaitel, then the boy is a Russia and she should run the other way. You know, Ravadia didn't believe things halfway. You know, the things that he believed, he believed. Um, I think Ravarin Salvechik's wife only wore hats because Ravarin also held that shaitels are not. That's correct. Um, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, as you may notice from any Lubavitcher couple you've ever met, the Lubavitcher Rebbe holds dafka shaitels. Right? He held dafka shaitels. Um, why? So uh, people say because he wanted uh, wives should look beautiful for the you know the husbands would would be uh, would be a big turnoff if their wives didn't look beautiful. So the wives should have the right to look beautiful. And to, but uh, I think the, the the simple explanation that he gave was that uh, he wanted the kind of hair covering that she's unlikely that's unlikely to fall off and that can't easily be removed. She's unlikely to take off in in, in public. Um, and a kerchief or whatever you know, is always sliding or whatever. A shaitel stays in place. So he thought a shaitel is a stronger, a stronger uh, head covering. So anyway, so back to our psak. So I asked Rashakta what he thought about this. Um, you know, and he said, if you're able to clarify that she's mamish, you know, she's she's crippled by this. She can't function. So he said, well, first of all, uh, the Frimer's corner of Salvation, the married woman covering the hair is only drabana. And when the Gemara says, all right, it's only a smachta. And he says, the Sifri says, Afal Pishen Raya Ledavar Zecher Ledavar from Sota. So from the Sifri, you get the impression when it says, Afal Pishen Raya Ledavar Zecher Ledavar, it's not really a Pasuk, that it's only a Din Drabanan. Um, there are other Marmakomas for Shach that hold this Marmakomas where sometimes we call something a Daraisa when it's really a Drabanan. So he says, what it really boils down to is, can you be Mekil on a Drabanan, Bemakum Cholashen Bosakana? And here's a woman who's a cholashem basakana. She's not dangerously ill, but she's definitely not functioning. So it's a cholashem basakana. Um, so he pointed to that Rashi and Ksubis with the two Lushonos. And Ramosha saying that the difference is whether daraisa, uh, mitzvah daraisa versus navera uh, daraisa. And you don't have to give up more than chomesh of your chasim um, or to get sick for a mitzvah. So uh, Rav Moshe assumed married women, we have to be machmir, because he assumed it's Daraisa. Rav Salvechik thought that even for married women, it's only Darabonot, so you can rely on Savik Darabonot Lekula and assume that it's only a, uh, a, a mitzvah. So um, with all of these uh, considerations, again, I, I didn't uh, elaborate on the Chol HaShem piece. He, he pointed out that the... the, the um, 
the Ran quotes, he has this in his Sefer, in Eretz Hatzvi, that the Ran quotes some who say that you can drink Stam Yenam for a Chol HaShem Basakanam, that a Chol HaShem Basakanam, if they need it for their health, can drink Stam Yenam, which is uh, an Isr Drabanan. The Ran disagrees. Um, so it's a question whether you're allowed to violate every Yisr Durabana for a Cholashe Basakana or only Gzeros Durabana for a Cholashe Basakana. It could be that covering their hair is a Durabana but not a Gzeros Durabana. But at the end of the day, Rav Shachta thought that with there's enough here uh, that to be Mekil. Um, I got the impression from him, I don't recall if he said this explicitly, that she's not going to do it anyway. Meaning, uh, it's such a mysterious nefesh for someone like that, where they're going to mamish be crippled. It's not like they can really get the answer that says that they can cover their hair. She's not going to do it anyway. So this is the svara for why she's going to be makel. Uh, you know, more than this is the psak, this is the svara for why she's going to be makel. It's a nuance of difference, but I think that's that's the impression that I got from him. I had to deal with that uh, with that case.